Hello, this is Jamie Regis, and today we'll be taking a look at Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 11. We have begun a study through Ecclesiastes on our Wednesday nights, and I would encourage you to come be a part of that if if you're able. Um, if not, we'll continue to post these summaries um, the following week. And uh, as I said, these summaries put the information out there. But but if you can make it to class, that would be, that would be great. We get into a lot more detail and a lot more discussion in the class. That being said, um, again, we we started this past Wednesday night. Um, with Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 11, which is pretty much an introduction um, to this work. Uh, and I'm going to give you an opportunity uh, to read through that on your own. Um, so if you just want to put pause, push pause on this podcast and take the time to read that, um, we'll be back with you in just a little bit. Okay, hopefully you've had time to read Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 11. And um, one thing you're going to notice about Ecclesiastes as we work our way through this is that you're going to be somebody, see somebody referred to as the preacher, um, kind of the narrator of, of the book. And you're going to see that, that person mentioned again and again. Um, again, that is the speaker, the editor, uh, the preacher in, in, in the Hebrew means the koheleth. And so you might hear, if you study through Ecclesiastes, you might see, read, or hear um, the author referred to in that way. We'll just just simply call um, the author the preacher as we work our way through Ecclesiastes. Now, again, hopefully you've had the time to read verses 1 through 11, which is pretty much an introduction to this book, and there's something I want you to take a close look at. I'd like you to take a a look at chapter 1, verse 2, and then compare that with chapter 12, verse 8. I'll give you just a second to do that. Okay, um, nowhere else in Ecclesiastes is everything defined um, or described as meaningless. Um, now, the New American Standard that I, that I use to study out of does not use the word meaningless. It uses the word vanity. Um, but the NIV uses this word of meaningless, and it is a little bit unfortunate that that word is used. Um, and what we're going to do is take a, a closer look at that word and, and see what this is really getting at. Um, again, you'll hear me use the word vanity a number of times. Um, and we're going to be looking specifically at verse 2 where it says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And in the NIV, again, it talks about meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now, the thing that is interesting about that and somewhat troubling is the fact that if you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, you will come to the position, the right position, that will really, if you look closely, and you don't even have to look real closely to see this, that the preacher does not think everything is meaningless. He attaches some meaning to something. So what is this meaning? How could it be that he attaches meaning to some things and yet calls them meaningless in this part as we begin and then as we close this book? So let's dig a little deeper into the word meaningless, or in the, again, in the New American Standard, says vanity. In the Hebrew, um, this word is hebel. It's used over 30 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. You'll see vanity in the New American Standard. You'll see meaninglessness, um, chasing after the wind, words like these. And um, 
If you're to look at this word hebel, I'm going to give you three passages of scripture to look up. And again, push pause after I give them to you and take a little bit of time to do that. Um, Where this same word hebel is used um, in other places in the Old Testament. The first one is the 39th Psalm, verse 5. The second one is the 144th Psalm, verse 4. And then right out of the book that we're looking at, Ecclesiastes 6.12. So take a moment to look at those. Push pause. Okay, and we have you back here. Um, one thing I think you will have noticed in those verses, something that is similar, is there's a word that probably jumps off the page or a concept of shortness of time. See, what Hebel means in the Hebrew is breath. That's what it means, breath. And therefore, you could take verse 2. I read this in my study of somebody kind of... Um, changing the translation of verse 2 into this and see if you understand how much more sense this can make. Um, He changed it to this. The merest of breaths, says Koheleth, the preacher, the merest of breaths. Everything is breath. So the point in verse 2 of chapter 1 as well as verse 8 of chapter 12 is simply this. Life is short. Um, So what are you going to pursue in life? And the whole book of Ecclesiastes is about pursuits that really don't have a lot of meaning um, and putting so much effort into those pursuits when life in and of itself is so incredibly short. So that is, I very much believe, a better way to look at this word meaningless or this word vanity is brief, shortness of time. Okay, now another word I think would be very good for us to take a look at is, comes out of verse 8. We'll get back, there's a big question in verse 3, and we'll come full circle to that before we end. But first of all, let's look at verse 8. And there's a word in the New American Standard used that is wearisome. I'll read the first part of that verse. All things are wearisome. Now, this is a verse I'd like to, a word, I mean, that we'd, I'd like to look at a little bit closer. In the Hebrew, this word is yaga, yaga, uh, yag, yagea, sorry about that. Um, and it is an extremely rare word. It is not used very often at all in the Hebrew, original Hebrew text of the Old Testament. And this makes for it a little bit of a difficult um, time in translating it. Um, yagea. Uh, means more, though, in its root form than simply weariness. It means a type of weariness that is brought about from hard work. So let's look at this verse 8 just a little bit differently. If you look at verses 4 through 7, you will see it describes the hard work of creation. Um, in a in a kind of a pretty neat poetic way, um, how creation is working hard. Now, listen to this. If if you're to look at that and summarize those verses with "all things are wearisome," I don't know how well that fits. Try this: "All things are hard at work." That and, and focusing more on the concept of the not so much the weariness of that root word, but the hard working nature of that word. And that summarizes verses four through seven much better. Not only that, all things hard at work also makes the rest of verse eight a little more understandable. And see, the rest of verse 8 doesn't seem to go well with the first part of verse 8, and commentators have struggled with that um, quite a bit over time. 
So what you have in verses 4 through 7 is a three-part description of the workings of creation. And what you have in the rest of verse 8 is the three-part awe or wonder that is produced by observing the work of creation. Now that brings about something into this thought of hard at work or wearisome that that digs in a little bit deeper in verses 9 through 11. And this is the point. The world will continue working, meaning creation, will continue its work if Jesus tarries long after we are gone. Um, We die, the sun will still rise, the tides will still do their thing, the wind will still blow, the rain will still come. It will all continue long after we are gone. So with that in mind, come back full circle to verse 3. And verse 3 says this, What advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? Meaning under the sun means his days under the sun, which means his life. What advantage is all of this work that he does in his life? So there's kind of there's a two-part response to this question in verse 3 that we're going to look at. And the first, first, part, first part of this response is this, history moves on. That is just the nature of it. Time marches on, and with it, history continues to grow. And the great achievements of the past, now there's a few select achievements that are so big that they do not get smaller, but the vast majority of quote-unquote great achievements of the past get smaller and smaller as the years build because history moves on. So that is the first part of this, what advantage does man have in all his work? Because will it be forgotten? The second part of this response to question three is this. Take a look at creation. Remember verses four through seven. It was all about creation. And creation performs its endless tasks without complaint. There are no complaints from the sun, the moon, or the water molecules. They are all content with their roles. And man must learn to be the same. Content. If you're going to find any level of peace in life that is going to find itself, and don't get me wrong, we're, we're not bringing in Jesus into discussion as of right now. We're just talking about contentedness in life. And peace in life is so very closely connected to contentedness. And what the author is painting for us, what the preacher is painting for us here, is a picture that creation does its work. It is cyclical. The water is a water molecule. It drops as rain. It gets into the river. It makes its way to the sea. And yet, it is evaporated all over again and goes right back to the starting point. It goes on and on and on. The sun rises, the sun sets, and then the text actually says it hastens for the rising again. It will perform. That literally means it pants for it. It anxiously awaits the time where it will rise again. Um, The wind, it blows and it blows and it blows in cycles. It blows in circles, if you will. And yet all of these things that creation does again and again and again in all of these tasks, it does not complain. We can learn something from that. We can learn from the fact that history marches on. We can learn from the fact that, and the observation that creation does its job without complaint. You see, the whole message 
of Ecclesiastes can be boiled down to this. And this is the lens, this is the mindset, this is the vision through which we will look at the rest of this book in the weeks to come. Mankind continually grasps for what is unattainable. So many things in life that are unattainable, mankind continually grasps for them. And Ecclesiastes, at its core, is about the folly of that approach to life. So, that's what we're going to take a look at. Um, that, that is kind of the introduction that will set the stage for us um, in the weeks to come. And tomorrow night, which will be Wednesday night, we will jump into our second study of Ecclesiastes, and we'll be wrapping up the rest of chapter 1. Um, and look very much forward to, to that, and I hope that you will be able to join us. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen.